Welcome to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. They get the credit, we ask the questions. This is Credit Hour. On today's episode, we interview the new dean of the USD School of Law, Neil Fulton. Neil, how's it going this afternoon? It's going good, Michael. How about for you? Uh, it's it's going excellent. You're the new dean of the USD School of Law. Um, you know, before we talk about your new role here at USD, I just kind of want to understand a little bit where you come from. Um, you come from Miller, South Dakota. Attended Yale University for undergraduate, correct? That's right. And then where did you go to law school? University of Minnesota. Now, what made you, I guess, come back to South Dakota originally? You know, uh, when I went off to Yale, I really had this notion that I didn't want to be in a small town anymore. I wanted to go as far away as I could. And I, I realized while I was there how much I missed the geography of home, missed the ranch and those things. And worked back to Minnesota because I wasn't fully committed to come all the way home. And then spent a couple summers with a peer law firm. And that just really cinched my desire to come back home and saw that you could have a great practice of law and a great contribution back here at home. And the lifestyle was just so wonderful that uh, I realized. I might have thought I wanted to leave home, but I really didn't. You know, talk about that first job then. You talked about the professional mentors that you had. Where, what firm was that at? It was at the Madam Law Firm in uh, Pierce, South Dakota. Yeah, and it was it was one of the first things I ever bumbled into my in my life. You know, and I've sort of bumbled into these great opportunities. My my brother Paul is married to a Fort Pier girl who knew Charlie Thompson, a partner at the law firm, and knew they were looking for a summer intern and connected us up. And I really just connected with the lawyers at that firm and the work they did and came back after my second summer in law school and got to try a case my last two days there under the student practice certificate and was hooked. And after my judicial clerkship, came back home and, and joined the firm full time. You know, what primarily were your practice areas um, when you were in private practice? A lot of emphasis on litigation, uh, civil litigation side. I would have defended a lot of civil rights suits for state government entities and employees and local government entities. would have also done a lot of criminal litigation and then would have done um, work for the South Dakota Public Entity Pool for Liability, which is the state's self-insurance pool, including training for state employees on policy development and issues, and then also lobbied for a variety of folks during the legislative session. Now, that is, I guess, a good segue into maybe that next phase of your career. Um, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, you end up becoming the chief of staff for the yeah. governor, Mike Rounds. I mean, how does that even, how does one stumble into a role like that, I guess? Well, that was one of my next bumbles. So I, um, you know, Brent Wilbur, who I had a chance to talk about, who's a USD law grad and USD undergraduate um, alumni, was one of my longtime mentors, became a really good friend of mine. And... Um, Brent passed away unexpectedly, and as a result of that, I took over being general counsel for the governor's office and started lobbying for the governor's office. And then when Rob Schonsberg was going to step aside to go to work for Poet Biofuels, uh, I was up for some other meeting. It was really striking. Uh, Mike was there, and we were talking about whatever issue we were talking about, and he asked me, would you stay behind? Sure. And he closed the door to his office, and, and Mike just was not a door closer. Uh, and so I had this variety of horrible ideas running through through my head about okay there must be some huge problem out there and he uh he said rob's leaving and i'd like you to be chief of staff and i was just taken aback because i figured he wanted me to vet chief of staff candidates and i had never thought about it um have never been a registered republican in my life and uh hadn't been very politically active necessarily and and he asked me to do that and one of the first questions i asked him was why and I was really struck by the answer, and it has hung with me ever since, because he said, because you can make a difference here every day in people's lives. Well, that's a powerful thing to have 
someone tell you? Um, and that was followed up by the powerful statement by my wife, Molly, when I told her that. And she said, well, if, if you don't say yes to that, we're not the kind of people we wanted to be. And so it just really was this unique collection of opportunities and a real framing of it as service and alignment with really who I wanted to be when I grew up. Now, I don't know if you can talk a little bit about, like, what is a normal day like as the chief of staff of a governor's office? I mean, I'll let you kind of explain. I mean, was there a normal day? Uh, yeah, they're all abnormal days, really, you know what I mean? Um, it has life cycles, and, you know, there are a lot of normal days where it's just sort of business as usual that are going to involve meetings with cabinet secretaries and senior staff and with outside interest groups and, and folks and, and just working on policy things, getting ready for session down the road, managing day-to-day stuff, it, almost just like running a regular business, right, at some level. You're just sort of doing the work. The really abnormal days, though, came in two instances. One was when there are natural disasters going on. And I always laughed with Rob Schonsberg. We had about a 30-day overlap period. I said, you're going to leave on November whatever was his last day, and it's going to blizzard. And sure enough, Rob checked out at 12, and at 12.01, it did start to snow and peer. <laughs> it just did. Not very much. But, you know, we dealt with several blizzards and floods in the emergency operations center. And when you're in those types of settings, it's really an amazing all-hands on deck moment. And you really got to see state government in its best because the coordination of resources and the coordination of effort with local folks and with state providers and private industry is just fantastic. My personal favorite story always about that is during the Christmas blizzard one year, there was a blizzard right around Christmas time. Um, there was a kid in St. Mary's in Pier who needed irradiated blood platelets, and we could only get them from Sioux Falls. You couldn't drive, but we were able to fly over top of it. The state pilots could fly. And then we had a highway patrolman who got on a snowmobile, went out to the Pier Airport, got the platelets, and took him down to St. Mary's. That was pretty cool to make happen, just to have that feeling. You know, you talked about a little bit of the impetus for taking that role was just you know, your commitment to public service. I mean, did that align with the original reason why you wanted to be an attorney in the first place? Why did you attend law school? You know, I told some students today who who are from farm ranch backgrounds that my brothers are calving right now, and calving season is one of the main reasons I attended law school, because if you've worked hard outside, you realize that, you know, your worst day as a lawyer is still air-conditioned. Yeah, I I really went to law school with a desire to help people. When I went... I had some sense that maybe I wanted to prosecute cases, and I've never done that. I kind of migrated away, but I did work around a lot criminal law. It really was oriented towards trying to help and make a difference for people from the get-go for me. Right when I got to law school, I didn't know how exactly, and it's evolved over time, but it always, for me, has been oriented towards trying to serve and help people. Well, and you went from... uh you know, administrative position, um, for lack of a better term, back into then, I guess what you would term a, a legal position, although it has a, quite a bit of administrative responsibilities. How did you kind of go into the role of the federal public defender for the South and North Dakota? Yeah, uh, man, yet again, I just sort of like fall into this great thing. So um, Governor Rounds's term was coming to an end in, in 2010. And um, I was thinking about what I wanted to do next. And I really had thought when I went to the Capitol that I'd go back to Mayadam. Uh, I loved those lawyers. I loved the work we did. And that was really my sense when I left. But kind of the combination of it being a different place when, when Brent had passed away, who was such a close friend and mentor for me, and 
the exposure to the public policy development work and the personnel management and the problem solving as chief of staff really made me realize how much I missed being a lawyer on a day-to-day basis, but at the same time, how many other things I could do as a lawyer. As it turns out, uh, Jeff Viken, another USD alum, had just been named to the federal bench in Rapid City, and the federal defender job was open. And I had always taken court-appointed cases. I loved that work. I loved doing that work out in particularly Indian country. And it was this perfect alignment of an opportunity to really be a lawyer again, serving a population that mattered to me, and then also having managerial and public policy development opportunities. So it was just this perfect alignment of things that I was interested in and hopefully able to do well. How big of an office do you manage? So there are five offices spread out across the frozen tundra, Fargo, Bismarck, uh, Rapid City, Sioux Falls, and Pierre. The North and South Dakota offices are combined administratively. So 45 people plus me spread out across those five offices. And they really do end up being five small little branch offices of one big law firm because the nature of practice is so different among each of them that they really have to be able to operate independently and kind of respond to local circumstances. I mean, in your time, both in private practice and in your current position, I mean, what makes a good attorney? I mean, you hire attorneys, you know, you work with them. Is there a singular uh, personality trait, something like that, that like this guy's going to be good? Wow. Yeah, that is a great question. Um, If I have to pick one thing that makes a, a good attorney, I would say it is being genuine being genuine to yourself. Um, Mary may not be familiar with the Wyoming lawyer, Jerry Spence, that a lot of people who want to try cases kind of aspire to be. Jerry's famous as a trial lawyer. He tried the Karen Silkwood case, a lot of high-profile cases. And Gary is very famous for wearing buckskin jackets and being a very emotive person in his courtroom presentation. And so what you'll see a lot of times with people is that they'll try and emulate Spence by wearing a buckskin jacket. And if you read what he writes about advocacy and being a lawyer, what he's telling you is be genuine, be who you are, and communicate genuinely with the people across the table from you. Don't try and be Jerry Spence, try and be Mike Ewald, try and be Neil Fulton. I mean, be who you are. And so I see lawyers who are incredibly successful, who have all sorts of personality traits and approaches, but the best ones are genuine to who they are because you just... You can't fake authenticity. You bring up the the concept of being genuine. I mean, that's what has struck me, I guess, in my initial meetings with you so far, is you just are a genuine person. I mean, how do you deal with that in a uh, professional environment that can be rough and tumble, right? I mean, that's the reputation of the law, yeah. is that it's adversarial. So how, how can you develop those relationships um, and do it in a manner which still engages with people, you know, but while also you know, advocating for your side or your client. Yeah. Well, you know, I think the, f- the first thing is if you are, if you're genuine, right, and you're transparent and you tell the lawyer across from you in an adversarial setting that it's just business, it's not personal, that's a, that's a big start. If you're honest and forthright with people, they want to engage with you, they, they can relate to each other. Um, and I think that if you're genuine and you care about the people you're working with, and it's a small bar, it's a small community, you really are going to see that lawyer again, you're going to see that judge again. And so there's a real, there's a real value to you, to the process, and, and frankly, to your client to invest in those relationships. And I've just always felt like that was important to do 
for my practice. And candidly, it was really what I was taught by that great series of, of mentors at Mayadam and other places that that's just how you do it. You, you can fight mightily in a courtroom and still get along. And I, you know, the other thing that always struck me that was a really good example early on is I try to, one of the very first cases I tried when I got into practice was with Mark Smith, who was the Hughes County State's attorney. And when it was done, he came over and shook my hand. And that really struck me after closings. Every time I argued a case, I shook hands with that lawyer. Every appellate argument I've ever walked out of, I shook hands with that because your colleagues and investing in the relationships to me is just what you have to do. USD School of Law. Um, yeah, go I mean, incredible opportunity. Obviously, there are some challenges as well. Walk into any institution, there are things that need to be improved. Um, I mean, uh, well, I'll be frank, the USD School of Law has garnered some negative criticism. It's been in the news before. You know, what is your take on the law school right now, where it's at, where it needs to maybe go in the next six months, a year, two years? You know, I think that the law school's future is really rooted in its past. And I've talked several times about this being a community that's rooted in a tradition of excellent service and leadership. I think it's been that way since 1901 when the school is founded. I think that's the law school at its best. And I think that's the foundation to build from in the future is, is be a place where we focus on excellence in the classroom, excellence in practice, having lawyers who are oriented towards serving the people around them in a meaningful way, stepping into leadership positions. From there, you know, you start to get into the details of, of running a business. And yeah, you're right. Um, it's It's been a rough five years, 10 years, not just for USD, but legal education in general. And, you know, there was a lot of discussion about bar passage, about class sizes. USD wasn't alone in that. You know, nationwide applications to law school fell by about 40%. Nationwide bar passage rates went down dramatically. Um, so there's a national challenge that we're all facing as law schools. Then I would say for USD, the other challenge is it's just asked to be so many things to so many people. Uh, USD Law School has to produce the small town lawyer who goes back to Miller. It also has to produce the in-house counsel at Sanford and Nevera, the lawyer who is in a big Sioux Falls firm with a national presence. So there are just so many things that the law school has to do. That's a real challenge. But to me, is a real opportunity because in any of those settings, whether it's a small town practice, an in-house uh, business opportunity, or a big firm, you are going to find a USD graduate who cares about this school, cares about its future, cares about trying to recruit graduates of this school to come there and carry on the tradition. So I really do think, even though it's a challenge, it's a real opportunity too. You know, it reminded me last year, I had the opportunity to interview a couple of USD law graduates, and they were all from the kind of mid-1970s. And you know, interviewed uh, former Justice uh, Judy Meyer Henry, um, Chief Justice David Gilbertson, um, former USD President uh, James Abbott, and I was just struck by this confluence. It's, of, it's like the Avengers of yeah, USD, yeah. And and full disclosure, I'm in law school, and you know, you go to class every single day, and I mean, I go to class with some incredibly talented. Um, students who I think are going to be amazing lawyers. It's hard to point to a face in the crowd and say, you're going to be the next chief justice, right? But I know that they are going to be But they're some, in the room. You know it. And, and they're going to be some strong, powerful legal advocates, right? And it's fun to be a part of, I think. Can USD, I guess, be successful sort of defining its own version of success? Do we have to 
aspire to be sort of like regionally competitive, if that makes any sense. I mean, how much do we get caught up in uh, the, the national com competitive drive when, like you said, I mean, a large part of the mission of the USD School of Law is to produce, you know, lawyers who are working every single day in communities across the yeah. state. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. And, you know, to do that, really, you got to pull the lens out a little bit and just say how much legal education nationwide is oriented towards the Harvard, Yale, Chicago model, right? I mean, that's where so much of legal education has come from, from Columbia when Carl Llewellyn was there as dean, that we have this model of legal education and legal placement and ABA accreditation standards are really geared toward that that big law school, big city firm orientation. And they, in my opinion, squashed a lot of the innovation that you could do at a smaller school like this where there's such a tight connection between the alumni community and the employment community and the school. Um, so you're sort of asking the question, are we going to do what Harvard does and what Yale does and what Stanford does only on a smaller scale and in certain ways not as well? Hopefully not. I mean, I think there are things that are going to be common to legal education wherever you go or, or fundamental orientation towards understanding and interpreting positive law legal text and the case law method. But I really think here we just have so many opportunities for experiential placement and for synergistic connections with the B school and, and you know, delivery of online courses and non-JD opportunities where we can be nimble and respond and have partners in the private sector that hopefully we can break free a little bit from the model of what everyone else is doing because we are so connected and can be so responsive to those employment communities that I, I think we can do a little bit better. You know, you walk into an administrative position like this. You've done it a couple of times, right? Do you go in with a set of priorities or plans, or is it very, oh, you kind of have to wait and see. We need to get in the building, see how it operates on a day-to-day -day basis before we figure out where we need to go. Yeah, I mean, more of the latter. Certainly, you got to go in with some sense of, of how you want to approach it once you think the big issues are out there. But the biggest thing to me, both you know, when I stepped into being chief of staff and, and to be in federal defender and, and will be here, is to really hear from people in the organization. And in both instances, you know, I sat down and talked to every person that I could. And when I met with faculty this morning, that was one of the first things I talked about was saying, hey, I, I need to sit down with each one of you. I want to provide some written questions take written questions from you guys so we sort of have an orientation before we sit down and then really sit down and talk for an hour or two hours, get their perspective about the school, do that with student groups, do that with folks in some of the other colleges around USD and get a sense of what's going on. So certainly, you know, you've got a sense that bar passes is important and trying to expand experiential operations is important and trying to focus on fundraising is important. But to get to the details, I think you really have to hear from the people in the building before you just come in and say, we're going to do this, this, and this, because that's not leading. That's that's just imposing your will, and it's different. You know, do you anticipate any major challenges um, that you'll have to sort of take on? It could just be about USD School of Law or the legal kind of education market in general. I mean, where do you see the potholes, I guess? You know, I, I think one of the big things about the legal market in general is it's changing a lot. You know, litigation placement and, and the approach to litigation has changed a lot. There's a bigger drive towards alternative dispute resolution, which is both a challenge and an opportunity. Um, it's harder to get lawyers chan chances to try cases for those people who want to be involved in litigation. Um, inside the building, I think one of the things is going to be resources, both people and funds. Um, 
it's a little hard to get people sometimes recruited to South Dakota and, and sometimes to Vermilion to, to keep the best people here in the building as faculty and staff. And then financial resources are out there. That's not a USD thing. That's an everywhere thing. Um, there's an increased need for fundraising out there, and that's going to be very important from the get-go for me. You know, just for me personally, one of the interesting challenges is converting over to academia. Um, I've been an advocate my whole life. I haven't been in the academy. And so thinking about uh, publishing, thinking about teaching are exciting and terrifying. Uh, it's different than being a courtroom advocate for sure. And that's going to be an area where I'm going to need to learn from faculty and grow a lot. I'm excited about it, but uh, it's going to be a different end of the pool. You know what? I'll throw a, a question out, I guess, for my fellow students here. I mean, what might change as far as our experience um, here at the USD School of Law? Is there anything in particular you can give us as a heads up um, <laughs> as far as next year, or is it going to be a little bit more incremental? You know, I mean, I think one thing I hope, um, I don't know if it's a change or not, but one thing I hope that the students feel about me from the get-go is accessibility. Um, I want to find ways to do that. I think there are formal ways to do it having some forums with students in the courtroom a couple times a semester to have a give and take of ideas is really important to me. Um, I also think that's just important to be accessible and visible, right? To, to take my lunch down, sit in commons different times, to walk the hallway with a cup of coffee and just have a chance to engage with people on a day-to-day -day basis and know what's going on in their world and try and get to know them. And that, frankly, has been one of the best parts of today's walking through and meeting students. Um, during one of our breaks, m my wife and kids and I went over to the muck and actually were sitting at the table next to some law students and so kind of joined up and had a chance to sit and talk with them and that was fantastic. You know, I kind of agree. It's I worked at USD before coming to law school here and everyone would always say it's such a close, tight-knit group of people and you kind of roll your eyes at it maybe a little bit when you feel like you're like, I'm part of USD, right? I, I wasn't part of the law school yet though. and to be over here every single day, it is, uh, in my opinion, like the the strength of a liberal arts institution, it exists at the law school every single day. Just the collaborative atmosphere that students have with one another. It's not this hyper-competitive um, you know, atmosphere where people are hiding books in the library. I mean, everybody wants everybody else to succeed. And I, I mean, I mean this truly, I can't think of another environment in my life educationally professionally where I've felt that um, so it's a great you know school to be a part of it's a great institution to be a part of you, know, you have so much you know of you know in the speeches that you you've delivered um, in you know, our conversation that we've had already you've talked about the concept of service I mean how much is that the mission of the USD School of Law how do you actualize that in a legal career? Um, you know, if you're just if you're not a public defender, if you're not a yeah. prosecutor. Oh boy! Well, you know, I think it's I think it's one of the key components of any law school and, and of being lawyers. I mean, um, I think there's an obligation as a lawyer to serve your community, to serve the larger world. I just think it's it's fundamental. You know, we're not one of the states that has mandatory pro bono work. Some states do but there's a strong tradition in the practice of providing pro bono service out there in communities. There's a strong tradition among the bar in South Dakota of serving in non-legal capacities on boards, commissions, and other things like that. So I just really think that the nature of the law as a profession is different than any other profession. No other profession you know, requires the engagement of lay citizens in their process. Lay citizens are intimately involved in the making of the laws. 
our legislature is made up predominantly of non-lawyers and jurors are made up of non-lawyers. Citizens are all actively involved in the application of law. And so to me, it's so important for lawyers to be in service positions because it's the nature of the work we do. And I really feel like it is just a key way to keep knitting society together in a time when it feels like so much of society wants to fray. So I know I'm asking you to write the last chapter of a book here at the very beginning, but you know, if you could project, you know, however long um, you might be in this role, I mean, where do you want to leave the USD School of Law? If, if you could, you know, pie in the sky, goal, where would you want to leave it? Uh, you know, can I say as well or better than I found it? That's kind of the easy out on that answer. Um, you know, what I would say is I would like to, when I leave the law school, whenever that is, say that whether it's faculty, students, alumni, we've maintained those traditions of excellence, service, and leadership, that it's in a solid financial position, that it is an integral part of the bench, bar, and business communities in South Dakota, that those connections are strong and valued by everyone in the process, um, and that the people who have passed through the community in my time there enjoyed their time there and feel invested in the place and a desire to take care of it for the next generation, that people view the law school as an important resource for the state and that there's somebody waiting in line behind me to take care of it for future generations. Um, Neil, that's like probably a great ending. I'm going to ask one more question. Okay. It's a little bit introspective, <laughs> so I, I hope you'll be okay with it. You know, at this point in your life, what do you know for sure? Uh, that I don't know much. I think um, one of the interesting things that, that I think I have realized is that questions are more important than answers, that being a leader is much more commonly asking the right question as opposed to having the right answer, uh, and that there's just an enormous amount I don't know, but I'm excited to try and find that out. And if you went back and told 26-year-old Neil Fulton coming out of law school or my wife when she'd met me that that's where I would be, we both would have laughed at you probably, but it's good. Dean Fulton, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast and also for joining us here at USD. We are so excited to have you. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Adam. Go Yotes. Go Yotes. Thank you for listening to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. Listening is 100% of the grades. We hope you enjoyed the episode. 